Welcome back, injury proners. Thank you for tuning in again. I have some bad news. I'm sorry. I recorded this entire interview with my computer mic. I wasn't entirely certain what happened. Apparently, my microphone wasn't the default when I was recording, so I'm sorry. My audio, my audio sounds absolutely garbage. John sounds just fine, but I wanted to apologize for the audio stuff. I'm going to have to get this microphone figured out, but... Here is John from 4 for 4 talking about all things 2021 and what it means for the next fantasy season. Enjoy. Welcome back to the Injury Prone Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Adam Porter's doctor of physical therapy, medical analysis, fantasypoints.com. Today, we have a very spectacular guest. We, we, I guess you could say we have the 4 for 4 fourth-ranked fantasy pros accuracy uh, contest placer. I don't know. I just really wanted, I couldn't think of anything clever to think of. We have John from four for four. He's a director of forecasting at four for football. He is the fantasy pros, most accurate fantasy football expert of 2010 and 2014. He has been in the top six, nine of the last 11 years this year. He just finished number four. The dude is as steady as they come. One of the nicest guys that you will ever interact with on the internets. I know it's hard to come by nowadays. He is at four for four underscore John on Twitter. John, thank you so much for coming on. We, I really, really appreciate you taking the time. Dr. Porras, I, uh, I'm happy to be here. Um, I've followed your career as you've joined the fantasy industry, and I'm happy to hear you found a home at Fantasy Points. And, um, you know, if you ever want to come over to 444, let me know, and I will put in a little work for you. <laughs> Maybe I can get a – is that tampering? Are you no, NBA tampering right now? Yeah, okay. Well, that's fine. I'm, I'm totally fine with tampering. So – First of all, John, I've told you this before. Call me Edwin, or I will, you know, be extremely upset with you. I appreciate, I appreciate the title, and I did earn it. But I also appreciate you calling that. Thank sure you. Thing. Call me. Up. Second of all, I wanted to tell a story that maybe you weren't expecting to tell, John. So I was, you weren't expecting me to tell. The first time I interacted with John, he asked me something. I don't remember what it was. I don't remember what the contact, or what player it involved, or anything. Um, he said, oh, thanks. I appreciate that. And then at the end of the season, this is 2019 when I was doing everything for free. I still wasn't hooked up with fantasy points. John Venmoed me for the advice that I gave. And that's like unheard. I, I, at least for me, that was unheard of up until that point. I couldn't be more appreciative to John. Um, I mean, I, he's probably like a millionaire, billionaire, right? So it's a, you know, it's a couple of tackles for a third year graduate student. But no, so John, I haven't thanked you in, I guess, uh, outside of Twitter, the Twitter sphere for that. But you, you it genuinely was uh, one of the nicest, kindest acts that anybody has, has ever put forth for me. So that's, that's my lens. That's how I view John through that lens of, he didn't have to pay me. He paid me anyway. And he, and, and it was just a really nice gesture. So thanks, John. I appreciate that. Uh, I had forgotten that I had done that, but that does sound like something I would do. I get some tips at the end of the year and I try to share those with the people that have helped me throughout the year with my rankings and accuracy and everything, because I know that's what's the, I'm getting tips for. So uh, you're welcome. And thanks for, thanks for, you know, making me sound like a great guy at, you know, opening of this podcast. It sounds great. <laughs> so, well, I want to, I want to frame the lens and, and just let you know, I mean, I view you in that way too. And I really, uh, I really appreciate that kind of stuff. Uh, I'm a big gesture guy just because I think it, I think it means a lot, right? It's hard to come across nice people, you know, these days, especially on Twitter. I know I've heard other analysts uh, like Graham Barfield has talked about this. Uh, Danny Carter has talked about this, how there was a time, a point in time where 
most conversations and interactions on Twitter were were in earnest. And if people were asking questions, it's because they genuinely were curious and there was very little trolling. Is that true? Uh, yes. And I would say uh, in the fantasy industry, things over the last 10 years since I've joined, you know, fantasy Twitter, it's gone from kind of kumbaya, you know, there's room for everyone to a little bit more cutthroat and competitive as more, you know, businesses have entered the fantasy space and are, you know, are trying to fight for the same subscribers. Um, so it's not as nice uh, as maybe as it once was, but I think there still is this undercurrent, especially with the original crew that uh, really help each other out as much as possible. Yeah, I think that's it is super, super interesting dichotomy to me because I sort of came in in the middle of it after that had already passed. So I am not I don't know the Twitter of the past, but that is the current Twitter. Um, but there are still people like you is a point that I'm trying to make. I've interacted with other really nice people. So there's still some hope. Now, you said before, outside of fantasy, you had a really hard time thinking of any hobbies that you have. So why did you have such a hard time? And are you just like a diehard football dude? Well, you, uh, you know, asked, you know, in the rundown here, you know, what hobbies did you pick up during the pandemic? And I really didn't, I didn't, I didn't think of anything that I picked up during, I mean, I didn't start making sourdough bread or something like <laughs> uh, my wife and I, we spent a lot of money um, outside with restaurant, you know, with restaurants, picking up food. That was a big thing for us to try to keep sure. uh, the small businesses and the restaurants that we love uh, around, uh, are, you know, alive. Uh, it was not a problem for us because we were not spending much money outside of the house other than groceries and stuff. And then, you know, I probably got a little bit more into mixology and trying some different uh, drink recipes for her. Um, I have my standard old fashioned that I typically drink. Uh, um, and then I would say outside of just, you know, drinking and eating, uh, which has led to about a 30 pound weight gain. Um, I would How say I, I, I was... Uh, I had lost 30 the previous year. So now I'm back to where I was. Oh, I, just gotta, I, gotta start, I gotta start, I gotta start losing uh, again this summer now that uh, football's over. But I think locally I was tracking the uh, COVID uh, virus and the percent positive and the number of tests. And I was posting that weekly here in OC uh, or I live in Orange County, California. So trying to keep my um, friends and family updated on where things stand. Uh, I got into true crime pods a little bit more and documentary watching documentaries uh, about uh, you know various serial killers I find that pretty fascinating the, the criminal mind and then really the last thing that I, I spent m- much of the summer doing was honing my son's jump shot in the backyard we did a rebound oh, in the backyard and put a we put a back basketball hoop in um, so I'm rebounding for him and getting his jumper on point because uh, he wasn't able to to play for you know much of the summer they're they're doing some socially distanced outdoor practices mm-hmm. now but um, not a lot of scrimmaging going on still because of the virus. So we really spent the time to really get him, get his jumper on point. And uh, I, I would say that's the, those are the, those are the things that I did a lot during that. How old is your son? Uh, he's 12 turning 13 in March. Ooh, crime, man. You gotta get that J down. I'm sure yep. that uh, the Jordan, the uh, last dance Jordan documentary probably yep. was a little bit of a fire, huh? We watched that. Uh, we, there was several, uh, the ESPN 20, uh, 40, was it 40 for 40s? Uh, 30 for 30s. 30 for 30s. Uh, I got four for four on my, on my brain. Uh, <laughs> I, we watched a lot of those. Any of the basketball ones we watched, the the one with uh, the NC State run to the to the final with uh, Jimbo. Oh, that's a good one. Watch. So, yeah, yeah we, he, those, uh, I think, helped him uh, get a little bit. We transitioned also from soccer basketball to just basketball uh, in, at the beginning of the year. And I think that, you know, lit a fire in him, as you said. That's exciting, man. Basketball was actually my first love. I, I enjoy playing basketball. 
as crazy as it sounds, I miss football, play, you know, playing football, but basketball is, I still love playing pickup games and stuff like that when, when we're able to do that, which we haven't been able to for about almost a year now. So yep. but hopefully we'll get back to that within the next, you know, six years, six months, six years, six months to a year. So we'll see. God, it feels like it's been six years already, doesn't it? Yep. So here's a question I've been wanting to ask you since, you know, we, we virtually met. Who on earth is in your Twitter picture? Who is that you? What is that like some symbolic picture I'm missing? Like, am I just an uncultured swine? What, who is that? Well, have you seen the, the movie, the Royal Tenenbaums? No, I haven't. Okay. So that's a Wes Anderson uh, flick, his third one. Uh, he's one of my favorite directors. He did Rushmore, which is the, the, the preceding film. Um, uh, Bottle Rockets, the, his first film. Uh, but he's one of my favorite uh directors and that's a screenshot from that movie it's actually luke wilson playing the role of richie uh, tenenbaum uh he's a tennis player professional tennis player who basically has a mental breakdown during a during a game because his stepsister who he was in love with uh brought her new husband to um the match so he was Lord, what do you watch john yeah. wow, you, should, uh, <laughs> you should uh you should check it out it's a Kind of a quirky indie comedy. Um, oh, okay, fantasy. it's a comedy. When you say it's yeah. a comedy, that 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 makes a lot more sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a, a you're not familiar with Wes Anderson at all. So obviously you, should, you need to go right. check that out. Okay, okay, I'm, I'm writing them. So, all right. Well, now that we have that squared away, okay, I do have one more question. Then we'll get into the actual stuff. Four for four, right? So four for four dot com, the website, premium site, puts out great content, keeps you consistent, fantasy pros rankings. But what on earth is four for four? Mean? The the name of the website, I've asked uh, our fearless leader and owner, uh, Josh Moore, this, and he does not know the origin of the oh name. My God, he, he, bought, he bought it from Greg Allen, who built the site in the, I want to say, uh, right around 2000. I think since 2000, the site's been operational. Um, I don't know why he for- named it 444. Um, Josh purchased the site from him. I want to say late 2000s, uh, 2007, 2008. And I think he never got a straight answer out of Greg as to what the name meant. Uh, but now we're just sort of running with it. I mean, we, I think we, when I first joined the site, um, 2012, 2011, um, we talked about maybe changing the name of the site, but we, it, we had enough of a built up subscriber base and it was unique enough that, uh, we wanted to stick with it. So, uh, even though the name's pretty quirky, we, uh, we, we like it. What if you had to change the name today? What would you name it? Uh, it would if probably de- was off the table. Yeah, it, it would probably depend on uh, what website uh, domain names were available. Uh, a lot of the best ones have been taken, so I think that that's part of the problem. Well, John, I'm going to ask you to be not so pragmatic and logical, and I want you to just <laughs> pick one. What would you pick? Uh, boy, creative brain. Yeah, I have not thought. Out. I have not thought about a website name and. Since fantasyshrink.com, that was my site uh, oh, a while nice. ago. That was probably the maybe go back to that. I don't know. Fantasy Shrink, huh? Interesting. Yeah. Okay, I might go with that. How about how about you just you could name it John Fantasy Pros Most Accurate uh, Fantasy Football Expert of 2010 2014 Fantasy Pros Top Six Accuracy in Nine of the Last Eleven Years. That is probably available. It rolls off the tongue at, at the very least. So. Okay, John, let's get into the good stuff because I had all those burning questions inside of me for like the last year like year and a half that we've known each other. So uh, I needed to ask you, and I'm glad, I'm glad I finally got the answers. So now moving into the fantasy stuff, what did we learn in 2020? 
Uh, th- that's a good question. I haven't had as much time to sort of reflect and look at numbers as, uh, you know, maybe I, I would have if we had this pod in the spring, but I, I was looking at the final point totals for each position and there's a few things that jumped out to me. Um, looking at running back Dalvin Cook and Alvin Kamara, I faded them in the first round. I would have taken them late in the first round, but the, the, the issues that they were having prior to the season caused enough concern um, I think I actually spoke with you about Dalvin Cook's shoulder and how he had a fairly high chance of re-injuring it. It didn't happen, but there, that chance was still there. Yep. And mm-hmm. he had uh, his like he was doing his soft holdout where he was at at camp, but disgruntled about his um, his contract and it just wasn't didn't we weren't sure if things were going to get done. And then Alvin Kamara had the back uh, injury. Uh, he had the epidural or whatever and we were trying to sort through mm-hmm. sort through what that meant and these things were happening right as the season started so i think i i faded them and i don't know if i should have uh, that's something i have to kind of think about like did i make the right move obviously uh you can't go on a one uh season like number of occurrences because you know maybe you run dalvin cook's season a hundred times and he misses four or more games you know 30 percent of the time we just don't know um, about that, but looking back on it, it looks a little silly that uh, I was fading Cook and Kamara. I ended up a lot. I mean, I was taking Derrick Henry, so it didn't hurt me. Um, but I'm sure there's some uh, subscribers out there that maybe were passing on Cook and Kamara because I was fading them a little bit. Um, the the upside is, you know, in the second round, there's a lot of Aaron Jones, and that uh, I think made up for, you know, fading Cook or Kamara. Uh, as far as what else did we learn, digs to, to Buffalo, that was a big one. Um, you know, Josh Allen was primed for a breakout. Uh, TJ Hernandez, my uh, coworker, wrote an article saying that he could be the next Lamar Jackson, and he ended up being the next Lamar Jackson, um, which was amazing because he was really kind of going out on a limb there, saying that beginning of the season. Uh, but the, the thing that is intriguing here is to look – I've always looked at from a receiver standpoint when they change teams as a free agent – they typically do not do as well as they did at their previous uh, location uh, the, with the previous team. It's typically a downgrade in, in terms of their fantasy production. Um, but this was a situation where how much does a player like Diggs, who we know uh, is one of the best route runners in the league, thanks to Matt Harmon and his reception perception, uh, he had been very productive with Kirk Cousins over the years, although that has been spotty, and that's why he was frustrated and got traded. Um, how do we measure his impact on, uh, on a quarterback, uh, or, you know, a stud receiver moving from, from a team, one team to another team, how does that improve the quarterback's outlook? Uh, cause I think going in, I was looking at it from a, and I think most of the fantasy community was looking at it for, this is a downgrade for Diggs, And it turned out to be an upgrade because Josh Allen took off, uh, and Diggs just did, did what, did what he did, uh, did what he does. And, you could sort of see it coming with the Buffalo changes that they made over the last few years. They added John Brown, Cole Beasley. Um, they went from being a run heavy team to a pass heavy team and you could see kind of see the writing on the wall. So that was an interesting off season move. And then the rookie class um, tough to look back at it and say, this kind of you know, went the way we thought it might go because, you know, rugs and, and, and Rager were duds. Uh, they both dealt with some injuries, but they were not super productive when they did play. You have a Justin Jefferson who didn't start the season as a starter. So his ADP was really low and he ends up in the top 10. Uh, but 
it made sense when the pick was made that he would replace Diggs and, you know, be a fantasy starter, but then preseason rolls around and he's not starting that I think scared a lot of people off. And then you've got players like uh, Brandon Ayuk, uh, CD lamb, uh, T Higgins, Clay- Chase Claypool. They all turned out to be startable players, but they're mixed in with some of these other guys that, you know, didn't play much or didn't hit. Um, so I think looking at that group, Ayuk, lamb, not Lamb so much, but Higgins, Claypool are entering teams that had a need at, at receiver and they got playing time right away. I mean, I think Claypool and Higgins, you could argue heading into that uh, preseason that maybe they weren't going to see as much playing time. And, you know, I don't think Higgins played the first game or he didn't play much. Uh, he started playing when A.J. Green uh, just wasn't producing. Claypool was behind Deontay Johnson and Juju Smith-Schuster, but had his, you know, some big games early. Had that giant, what was a three-touchdown game. Yeah. mid mid season and then he faded a little bit and they they talked about how you know they were trying to save him for the playoffs um you know maybe his snaps were dipping a little bit but they have James Washington there as a capable fourth uh so i look at those classes and like what mistakes did i make in terms of my rankings you know rugs and and rager if they had that i think they're both first rounders if they had that talent or they still do have that talent you know why didn't they hit i mean the Raiders needed a receiver uh, and ended up being Nelson Aguilar and Darren Waller again, but it should have been right. Everybody predicted Nelson yeah, Aguilar. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Philly needed a receiver. Deshaun Jackson was there, you know, kind of mucking things up. They had the two tight ends. So, you know, <laughs> maybe you're in order. You said Deshaun Jackson yeah. was there. <laughs> well, you, you know, you're, you're heading into the season. He was a favorite target for a lot of fancy owners that I respect. And I, right, right. you know, he was a very, he's a very productive player when healthy, but he just hasn't been able to stay healthy. So, you know, he was sort of screwing up the projections at the start. Cause you're like expecting whatever 12, 14 games out of him. And you didn't get those, you didn't get that number of games out of him. So I always look at it like these, uh, these rookie classes and how do I better evaluate uh, and maybe come up with better draft rankings for these guys. Cause these are, these are sometimes the players that make or break uh, fantasy seasons because uh, there's such a, uh, a wide variety of rankings with these unknown players. Whereas, you know, the guys that are coming back to the same situation or, you know, everybody has them ranked pretty much the same. You know, I think those are good to- takeaways. And I wanted to touch on one specific thing you mentioned. Um, and that's the Dalvin cook versus Alvin Kamara fading that you were talking about. Mm-hmm. If I, so looking back, right, we look at the studies that show NFL players who have had, for example, Dalvin Cook, who've had shoulder dislocations. He's had, he'd had three or four before he even, you know, he had like two or three before he even got to the league. And he had his, his third or fourth one, I remember, uh, in 2019, in week 15, when everybody was going to need him in week 16, right? So if I were to go back in time from a process standpoint, I think I still would have faded Dalvin Cook from my perspective. I think I would have said, look, here are the numbers. Here's Dalvin Cook's personal history. The chances of him getting through a season without, you know, having at least one subluxation are, it's, it's a toss up. You know, you're sort of risking it. And I think that's where you sort of, you, I think that that's what kept you as consistent as it did. Like you said, like, I think it would have been bold to say Dalvin Cook, RB1 on a points per game basis. I think that would have been a bold thing, or not on a points per game, but cumulative, you know, points basis. I think that would have been a bold move. Conversely for Kamara, I think that there was not enough reason in that moment to fade him. I'd have to go back and see what I said. I think I did 
you know, knock, knock him a little bit down further than I should have. Because, like you said, the contract situation with him, and we don't really know, was it an epidural? Did he actually get an epidural? Was that just what he intentionally leaked from his camp? Like, there was, for me, there comes a point where you say, okay, is there something here to actually fade? Is there a safety net where you can look back and say this was the right process? With Kamara, I personally don't think I took that into consideration enough, uh, which is what I'm sort of going to try to do moving forward. I need to have more evidence than just my opinion. Uh, but I think that if I think you got the Dalvin Cook one right, man, I don't at least from my perspective, I don't see that as, you know, you made a mistake. I think like you're like you're saying, that would have been more of a bold move than not. Yeah, the, the two things that jumped to mind while you were just speaking there is that when I did my initial rankings for in April after the draft, whenever it was, Dalvin Cook came in as RB1, uh, which I thought was interesting. Uh, just looking at the the. The, the Vikings season projections and then his share of that. And if you're assuming 16 games, he was the number one uh, fantasy running back. Now I moved him down off of that. Even like it, the fact that he was over Christian McCaffrey was pretty surprising. I don't think I released that. I think I released it uh, cook at three or four and then just started moving him down incrementally. Uh, but like I said before, like from a process standpoint, and I know a low fantasy analyst love to say, you know, the process was right. It just didn't work out you have to look at it as this was an occurrence that everything worked out pretty well for cook. Uh, it easily could have gone the other way. If you run the season a hundred or a thousand times, you know, maybe he plays eight games, maybe he injures his shoulder in week four and doesn't return. Um, we're not, those don't get countered, you know, counted in the, the, the right. summer things because right. we, exactly. live in, we live in one timeline or whatever, and we don't have access to all the multiple <laughs> universes. So right. time is a uh, square circle. What did, what did McConaughey say? Yeah, yeah, time is a flat circle. So um, with, with Kamara, the other thing that I thought of, uh, he was he had a great fantasy season. Obviously, the six-touchdown game was monster. Um, but one of the reasons he ended up where he did is because Michael Thomas got hurt. In the games that Michael Thomas oh, played, yeah. yeah, and that over the past couple of years when Thomas is playing, Kamara is a, you know, an RB1, but he's not like the RB1. Uh, he's more of a mid-range RB one when Thomas is, you know, himself. So I think his injury really boosted Kamara, and that's not something that I would have foreseen either heading into the, you know, the season. So um, it ended up it is what it is. I mean, these these things, these rankings come back to haunt me sometimes, but I don't think it was a huge deal. I wasn't like um, telling people not to draft them, but they were typically gone. I think before you know, our subscribers would have pulled the trigger if they, if they trusted me and trusted my rankings. I think they probably would have already had uh, Derek Henry though. So I, I think that pivot was, was okay for them. Right. Exactly. And I think that the, talking about the process and I get there's important. And obviously you do a good job of doing that every day or every year with the consistency that you have as, as you, you stay ranked so high in those, in those rankings. And I, I think it really does go back to what you were saying about, you know, it, it takes, it takes a little bit of boldness. Who knows? Maybe, People that, you know, finished before you ranked Dalvin Cook one slot higher. We'll never really know, but it's one of those things that I think that, again, the Dalvin Cook for me, I'd probably do that nine times out of ten. The Alvin Kamara one, I might have probably, I should have probably have backed off a little bit. But, again, the volume matters for him. I think the last thing that you said, too, that I wanted to sort of chat about briefly. um, So, you weren't the only one fading digs. And if people have faded digs, you typically saw them also fading Hopkins for the same reason, right? All-star changing teams. You don't really know what's going to happen. Um, and both of them ended up being, you know, good. They ended up being, being good there. But I also think that there's something to be said for the, the same concept. Like, are you conservative or are you not? 
So what, I'm curious to see what your thoughts were uh, going into the season on Hopkins. Well, I, just to clear one thing up, I was not fading Diggs. I because um, his his ADP was sixth round, sometimes seventh round. Um, oh, and I, I I didn't mean to like I wasn't trying to jump on you there, but I ended up with Diggs. I know our subscribers will you know I saw a lot of rosters that ended up having Diggs on it because our projection had him fifth or sixth round value, um, and he was going sixth or seventh round, so it was it was happening. Um, I just looked at the, I mean, obviously going back to previous years with Diggs, he was typically a third round wide receiver. If he was staying in Minnesota and they had Adam Thielen and the same crew and no Justin Jefferson, he probably would have gone in the third or fourth round. So him going in the sixth is that downgrade that you're looking at, but his ADP was six, seventh. So people were getting him at a good value there. Uh, And he obviously finished third overall. Hopkins for sure. I, I, I did not end up with, I don't think a single share of Hopkins unless it fell, he fell into the middle of the third round. I know uh, our four, four subscriber who won the FFPC uh, entry and ended up winning his league. I drafted with him. He ended up with Hopkins like three Oh six and that worked out fine. Like that, that picks fine, but in the middle of the second round or, you know, one, two turn or something like that, that was just too, pricey for me given his change of scenery and then he's joining a team that's got Christian Kirk and and Larry Fitzgerald and and whatnot so you have to like unless you're getting a, a quarterback upgrade or a uh, a role upgrade at receiver when you're changing teams it's typically a downgrade but I think the other other piece that I that I mentioned was that the pie in Buffalo grew so much with Josh Allen uh, being that much more productive and then also that offense just being that much more productive that Diggs's move there actually was an upgrade for him because he was seeing a uh, an offensive and a quarterback upgrade, and then seeing a ton of targets. So his role was was bigger than it was in uh, in Minnesota. Would you say Diggs is a player in twenty twenty who surprised you? Um, and if you and if he did surprise you, who else surprised you? I certainly would say that the you know you, I don't think anybody would say with a straight face that they knew that Diggs was going to be a top five fantasy receiver. I did. In I, did. Buffalo. Yeah. I said it back. I said it back in twenty nineteen. You want to see the receipts? I'll send them to you. Uh, you know, Matt, Matt Harmon loved loves him as a, a route runner, uh, as a talent, and that always gives me a, a boost. Gives a player a boost in my eyes. If if I, I take his numbers that he comes up with every year, and I look at uh, the top fifty that he ends up charting, and you can see. Um, who the best route runners are, who the, who wins, you know, against man, who wins against a zone. Um, and I can rank them. I, I, I come up with a, a one number ranking from his, from his charting and it, his, his work identified Tyree kill for me um, a few years ago, prior to his breakout, he was going in the fifth round. Uh, he had him as a top 10, top five route runner. Uh, that's not something that I think the average fantasy guy pays attention to or average fantasy owner plays attention to because you know, they're not charting route running. The, I think the popular conception of Tyreek Hill was that he was just a speed, a speedster and that was it, but he can run routes uh, and get, get open at will. Uh, and that helps you uh, the following year in fantasy. If you can prove that you can run, run routes and, you know, your X, your X plus one, it helps uh, your, your overall fantasy production. So same issue with Diggs. Like he was top 10, top 12 route runner, according to Harmon's things. Like all the fundamentals are there, except for the fact we didn't know what this Buffalo offense was going to look like. And we didn't know if Josh Allen was going to take the step forward that he did. I mean, he was very inaccurate as a rookie. 
but really um, turned it up a notch and is a lot more accurate, just a good football player now. Uh, we would, did not see that coming outside of TJ Hernandez's article, I think, for the most part. I mean, he, had the, he has the legs to run and score there, but he also turned into a very good passer and, and threw a lot of touchdowns as well. So those two things, plus uh, you know all those targets for Diggs really boosted him. Uh, and then you asked about other players that surprised me. I think the Ryan, Ryan Tannehill wasn't a giant surprise. We knew about him heading in. I thought he was being discounted uh, quite a bit. I think Justin Herbert at quarterback was really the big surprise. We did not see uh, that coming, and that partially was due to that freak um, injection that punctured his lung or whatever. Uh, with the yeah. Chargers. Uh, that led to Herbert starting and never giving that job up, and he ended up being a lot better than a, a lot of people who um, evaluated him in college, just a completely different player, which is a pretty amazing. He's got a great arm. He's got a great future ahead of him. Uh, at running back, James Robinson, I think, is the clear – surprise there uh the only thing i want to note with him is, is I'm, not, I'm not running around saying that i th- i knew james robinson was going to be an rb1 uh but i did acquire him in two of my four actively managed leagues I, I, sp- I spent enough to get him because the interesting thing about that situation i remember this distinctly was that they cut fournette and then they released this depth chart and it had james robinson as the rb1 like this undrafted rookie what um, Ryquel armstead was in and out with uh, he was off. The, I don't know what's going on with him. He's still on that COVID list. Uh, yeah, but he I, I went really on the COVID list. Yeah. Okay, here. And then, you know, they had a, you know, Ozigbo and you know, whoever else there. Uh, but typically those depth charts will show, they're done by the PR guys sometimes, but they'll show, um, they'll show a veteran there, no matter who it is. I mean, it could have been Chris Thompson or whoever. Uh, but they showed James Robinson as the RB one and that was in late August. And so that to me was like, this is, this is strange. Like this, you don't usually see a rookie, especially an undrafted rookie listed as a starter on these early depth charts. So that caused me to go get him in a couple um, in my Scott fishbowl. I missed out on him. Somebody in my league actually spent hundred percent of their budget on him prior to week one, which was a great bid as it turned out. Uh, I got him an FFPC main event for like 25%. Of, of budget. Uh, so that's about what I was, and I got him in my home league, but I think that was, you know, he was obviously a league winner for a lot of folks because of his, you're getting somebody off the waiver wire that's providing RB one numbers. Uh, Antonio Gibson was a bit of a surprise. I think we were high on him at four for four all summer. I mean, I know a lot of our uh, subscribers ended up with a lot of shares of him in best ball. Um, but when, uh, uh, when the the job cleared for him uh, with Geis being cut, uh, his ADP you know skyrocketed into the fifth or fourth round, and it turned out to be justified. But th- at that point, I had so many shares in the ninth, tenth round that it, it became difficult for me to pull the trigger in the fifth round on him. Um, and then at tight end, uh, Robert Tanyan, uh, I, you know, I, I nicknamed him Baby Kittle prior to the season. I bunched, I drafted him in a bunch of yeah. Uh, Best balls. You mean Tony Gonzalez, right? <laughs> um, he's uh, came out and had a, had a nice year uh, for the Packers. Logan Thomas as well at tight end. I did not see that one coming at all. Uh, I did see a few fantasy owners or for, uh, analysts saying that he had the chance to, you know, to be a, a, a productive fantasy tight end, but you know, it was a little too old for my taste. But he ended up really producing there for the for Washington. So, 
there were a lot of takeaways. It was sort of a, it seemed like an outlier year, right? It was just a, it was just a weird year. Um, I was talking to JJ Zacharyson recently, and we talked. We we sort of learned in 2020 what does home field advantage do, and one of his best, I think one of the you know takeaways that I think was really smart that he said is that we basically learned what we what we knew unconsciously. Good players are going to do what good players do, and that's sort of the takeaway. And and James Robinson is obviously very much just a good player. So I think that those are those are some really good surprises. There were. I don't know. Did this did this seem did this year seem like an outlier to you statistically, or did it look like one statistically? Certainly, from a point scored standpoint, it was pretty insane. Um, I think that that's the that's the home field advantage probably playing into it. You have no crowds, you have no crowd noise. It's just easier for the offenses to function. And I think we've learned that crowd noise helps defenses. Um, so th- I think that was part of it. Uh, from an outlier standpoint, I mean, I think it was a really weird year in terms of the COVID. I, we didn't know what to expect. We didn't even know if we were going to have a season. I mean, you know, just talking with other people in the industry heading into week one, subs- uh, subscriptions were down. Um, people weren't sure that there was, was going to be a season or a full season. Uh, and then we had an extra few days of September this year prior to week one, and pretty much everybody returned. Uh for us, which worked out very well. I don't know about other <clears throat> companies um, and how they did, uh, but you know we were prepared for a, a lower revenue uh, business-wise, and it, we did fine. Um, so I'm glad that the NFL was able to figure it out in terms of the, the COVID. We had a couple games moved, which caused some headaches. Um, and I thought we'd have a lot more like late scratches on Sundays uh, right. in terms of mm-hmm. guys coming to the coming to the stadium, testing positive, and then not playing. Uh, but that really didn't that part didn't really happen. Guys were getting rolled out on Friday, Saturday, um, but on game day, it seemed I don't know what they were doing if they were doing anything different. Um, but there wasn't many or at all that I can remember positives where a guy is is being scratched uh, on game day uh, due to COVID. So. That, I think we got a little bit fortunate there. Uh, I don't know if that was, you know, they were pretty much, we're testing until Saturday and then Sunday, whatever, like we'll deal yeah, with the ramifications. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised. I think that, it kind of feels like that, doesn't it? So um, I think we got, maybe got a little bit lucky with that, but we got, we got the whole season in, uh, all the games got played. And I think that that's good for, for fantasy owners. Absolutely. So moving forward now that we've talked about what happened, what do you think is going to happen now? Time is a flat triangle, whatever the line is. Um, tell us who your top five players are at each position. Let's start a quarterback. Yeah, I've got my never too early rankings. They're not quite up. Um, I'm going to go through them once again early next week. But uh, right now, at, quarter, uh, at quarterback, I've got uh, Mahomes at one, Josh Allen at <gasps> two, uh, Dak Prescott at three, uh, Aaron Rodgers at four, and Lamar Jackson at five. Uh, and I think, you know, Ooh. just going, I think it gets Talk weird. Rogers. Well, I mean, he's, he's on fire. Um, and I, I would have a Wisconsin bias in you here, John. Is that what we're hearing? Well, you, you think he's too high or too low? I think he's, I mean, you're talking to a dude who, who does just injuries. So I mean, take this from what it's worth. I'm just curious, right? Just, just, uh, the, the fourth ranked seems to me high. Cause I don't know what the chances are that a 35 plus year old quarterback will repeat what he did. But again, I don't do projections and rankings. So, so tell me why I'm wrong. 
Well, I'm looking at Lamar Jackson, who finished eighth this year. He's going to bounce back. He's at five. Deshaun Watson at six. We don't know what's going on with him and his quarterback situation. Kyler Murray improved, but is he really uh, going to outscore Aaron Rodgers next year? I don't know. Um, this this Green Bay offense. This is, and then you're getting into you know Russell Wilson, uh, Justin Herbert, and Brian Tannehill. So there isn't like to me a strong case to be made for a lot of these guys over Rodgers, uh, given the way that this offense is currently rolling. Um, and maybe they actually draft a receiver <laughs> to help them yeah, out. Maybe, right? Or maybe we'll get another backup quarterback, maybe another running back, right? Uh, yeah, that's the. I don't know. We don't need any more of those. So, uh, well, they did just fine, John. So that shows you that they shouldn't have drafted a wide receiver, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to get into that. <laughs> I think I saw two years just talking about that. You're that the pr- yeah, just because they're doing well. I mean, we have, oh, number one, they haven't won anything yet. Uh, so if they lose again in the NFC Championship game, does that does that you know, counteract that, that line of thinking, or does that, you know, even if they do win the Super Bowl, it doesn't, that's not a good use of your resources. You right. know, everything had to break their way. If they do get to the Super Bowl and win it, um, you know, wouldn't it be nice to have T Higgins in this offense? Oh, right oh, now? Oh, I mean, it would be so smooth. how nice would that be? So, uh, you want me to go through running back and the other positions as well? Yeah, yeah, sorry. And I didn't mean to disagree with you, to be honest, because I'm literally just eyeballing this and I have no idea. So you're, you're setting straight. Yeah, no let's problem. go on to running backs. Uh, running back, I've got McCaffrey one, uh, Cook at two, and then that's pending health and everything else with him. Uh, Kamara at three, Henry at four, uh, Chubb at five. Uh, and then I'll just go through quickly. Jonathan Taylor, six, James Robinson, seven, Aaron Jones, eight. We don't know where he's going to sign, uh, hopefully with the Packers, but. I don't know. Uh, Eckler at nine and then Ezekiel Elliott at 10. Ooh. What do you think is going on with Zeke? What do you think is going to happen? First of all, I have my opinion on, on what I think is going on with Zeke or what could be going on, but I want to get your thoughts on, on where you think it's going to go from here, especially with the emergence of Tony Pollard. At least it seems like the emergence of Tony Pollard. Yeah. Uh, I don't, I'm not panicking with Elliott. I think this whole offense took a giant step back without Deck Prescott in there. And I think if he's back in there, as the starting quarterback that this Elliot gets back to his, he's not a top five guy for me anymore, but I think top 10, top 12 is, is, is reasonable. Tell me why you don't think he's top 10 anymore or top five. I'm sorry. Um, well, I think that I mean, you mentioned Pollard. That's one issue. Uh, and I'm just looking at these other players here, workload, uh, youth, uh, you know, Taylor Robinson, Jones, Eckler, uh, they're just more in entering or in their prime than maybe Elliot is at this point. What about you? You know, I think that I'm, I'm not sure yet. Right. So there is the, the idea or the, the theory out there that Zeke, you know, contracted COVID. He didn't look the same, his fumbles, you know, even though he had struggled with fumbles in the past, that sort of reemerged, uh, People were wondering if he was playing in a fog because that's what patients report after having COVID is they still feel like they're in a fog even, you know, months afterwards. So you just wonder, right? You look at the same thing with Miles Garrett. Miles Garrett got COVID. He was struggling through that divisional round. Um, and you just you just wonder, right? So it's just sort of a little bit of unknown. And it's and you can't prove it. Uh, for me, at least, you, I don't think you can prove, oh, yeah, you know, because Zeke got COVID and then all of a sudden he's playing more poorly. But there's a collection of a, few, a handful of some players that, did do, you know, worse, or they at least reported they were doing worse after having even if they COVID, even though they recovered. So that sort of plays into it for me. He had a calf strain at the end of the season. 
Uh, that was a little weird to me. They didn't really let him rest. I don't understand that. Maybe he was pushing to play. I just, I think, yeah, I, I think I agree with you. He's probably not a top five guy anymore, but it's crazy to think that he's only, I think he's only 25. Yeah, so, yes, you know, I looked it up. He's actually younger than Aaron Jones, which makes my, yeah. my argument for Jones make no sense. But um, look, looking at his yards per carry, which is kind of a basic stat, but you know, 4.5 for his career was 4.0 this year. Uh, Pollard, uh, 5.3 as a rookie, 4.3 this year. So this offense just running you know, running game was not humming like it had been. So I think he does bounce back, but I don't – I mean, I, I was ranking him around you know 18 to 24 at the end of the year, but I think he'll – you know, be at the low end RB one, uh, you know, acres Barkley right below him, Josh Jacobs. I mean, that's kind of the group that I, that I see him in right now. I think that's fair. I think that's totally fair. So who do you have for a wide receiver that tight end? Um, Devonte Adams at one, uh, Tyree kill at two Diggs at three Metcalf at four Ridley at five. So that's where I'm at with, with these Who's your six through 10, uh, Hopkins, AJ Brown, uh, Justin Jefferson, Chris Godwin, and, uh, Julio Jones at the moment. Ooh, the Justin Jefferson one seems a little hot takey. Talk to me about that one. Uh, well, you know, as a rookie, not starting the season as a starter, he finished wide receiver seven, wide receiver eight. So I think the sky's the limit now for him. He's he's the wide receiver one in, in Minnesota. I think he's better than Thielen, going to be more productive than Thielen. Um, and Who's going to throw the ball? Is, is Cousins still going to be there, you think? I think? Yeah, I think Cousins will still be there. I don't think he's a free agent, is he? Oh, I'm not entirely sure, but if, if I were the Vikings, I'd move on from it. That's what I gotcha. I'm saying. That's what you're saying. Well, I don't know that they are going to be able to afford to. I mean, there's just there's a lot of quarterback flux, you know, in flux right now. Maybe they if they if they're trying to improve, then I think he'll be fine. Uh, if they end up with Cousins again, I think he'll be fine. So I, I'm feeling pretty confident about Jefferson being a wide receiver one, or at least be ranked as a wide receiver one next year. No, yeah, I think it's 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 surprising to hear. Like my knee jerk reaction was like, "Whoa, nine. And then you you talk about it a little bit. You're like. Yeah, I mean, look at what he did this year, and that's not – I don't think that's out of the realm of possibilities he finishes at least nine. Yeah, I he's, think you – know, He's so talented. Yeah, I was just going to say that, you know, it's also about who else is below him. Like, how do I make the argument for somebody like, you know, Mike Evans? You know, is Antonio Brown going to be back? Uh, Evans didn't do great with Chris Godwin, uh, you know, healthy until late in the year. Keenan Allen, um, Allen Robinson, is he going to – where is he going to land as a free agent? Uh, Thielen, McLaren, you know, these are all very good, talented – receivers so they're all sort of the same tier you just jefferson happens to be the top of it i think yeah and the quarterback thing was i I just think it's a funny conversation because uh within like a subset of nfl twitter there's an entire world like there's an entire universe of you know is kirk cousins good or not twitter i think is what you would call it (laughs) you could you could you could cherry pick a stat and and prove you know make a case that that Kirk Cousins is a good NFL quarterback. And then you can cherry pick another stat, make the exact same argument that he's not a good quarterback. So I, I just had to get in the, the, the quarterback conversation there. Who do you have at tight ends? Uh, top five tight ends. Um, well, no surprise, Travis Kelsey at one. I like Darren Waller at two, uh, unless we start to hear, you know, there, there are other passing options for, for Las Vegas. Uh, he, he just really return good value in the fifth, sixth round this year for whoever drafted him there. It was really an impressive season for Waller, but you know, everybody thought that his targets were going to dry up and, uh, or at least be under pressure. And I did too, but then he ended up with more, uh, incredible, uh, Kittle at three, Mark Andrews at four, TJ Hawkinson at five. I'm sorry. Who'd you say was three? Uh, three was Kittle, uh, Andrews uh, at four and Hawkinson at five. What, what, uh, what holds you back from bumping Kittle up? 
Kittle Waller, uh, pretty much a toss up to me. I think Waller has done it now for two straight seasons. Um, it's not a huge preference for me, but I think Waller will be a third round um, tight end next year. Uh, I just think he, you know, he's done it two years in a row. It wasn't a fluke. You can see the talent right. on the field, and, and Derek Carr loves him. Uh, so unless unless there's a big change at receiver there that is going to hit his targets, actually hit his targets, I think he's like the number one target in that passing offense pretty consistently. Right, and we're sort of splitting hairs at that point, right? When you're that high, yeah. well, and I just just out of curiosity, I don't know if you have it in front of you. If you have the the cumulative projections, like the difference of what you have right now, Waller versus Kittle. Uh, I'm doing it now, uh, just kind of off the cuff, um, ranking them how I view them, and then mm-hmm. once the draft happens, I do the full projections for the site. So that makes sense. When, that makes sense. when people go to look at them, they're just going to see names in a, in a list right now. Right. I, I just wanted to ask because I didn't know if it was in front of you because I know oh, oftentimes. Pretty- They'll be pretty right. Fun. You'll get you'll get like a half point difference between the two, and it's like, yeah. oh, you know, you can pick either one. So the last one that I didn't ask you to prepare because um, considering who, who your colleague is and Denny Carter, uh, and even even you know Jen, she's big 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 on the kickers. I'm expecting you to have a top five kicker list. So go. <laughs> I don't have, I don't have. I get five kickers. Um, yeah, let's hear it. Uh, well, coup. He's been good. I mean, he had that biff against the the, the Chiefs, but fantasy wise, he's been excellent. Right, um, right. Great power. He's got good accuracy too. I think I think that he's a great kicker. Go ahead. Uh, Justin Tucker, despite the the two boinks in the playoffs, I think he comes back strong. He's a, he's a solid kicker. Um, these are not in order at all here. I'm looking at my kicker list. Oh come on, take them seriously. Kickers matter, man. I haven't uh, I haven't ranked these yet. Um, okay, I, I got one for you. How about Bucker? What do you think of Bucker? Bucker's. You know, you always with kickers, you always want, if you can, get somebody with a good offense. So you get the you get the three or four extra points, and then maybe you get a a field goal attempt or two. You don't want the guys that are, you know, stalling out. The offenses are stalling out in their own half of the field. Um, so I like teams. If you can't get those teams, teams that can run, but then have some quarterback issues, uh, you know, punching the ball into the end zone. So for a long time with uh, with Baltimore, it was like that with Flacco. So they could run the ball really well, uh, get into the opponent's territory, and then they had trouble scoring touchdowns. And that's where Justin Tucker ends up with you know five field goal attempts in a in a game. But I think Sanders is really good. Uh, Will Lutz is pretty good. Butker, um, I think we've we've talked about probably the top five there. You see how how much of a breakdown you actually gave there? I mean, come on, John, rank those kickers, man. Kickers matter. Oh, Jeez, I just hadn't I hadn't done it prior to the pod. You know, uh, <laughs> was, I, I stopped at tight end, and I was going to rank this uh, on Monday. So. Uh, I, I knew I was going. I knew I was throwing you a curveball there. Appreciate appreciate you talking about it. So the last thing here, right on the my corny cash line is we have uh, band aids of advice to the listeners. So it can be fantasy football, you know, a fantasy football band-aid of advice you have, or it can be otherwise, or you can be both. You tell me what's your band-aid of advice. Band-aid of advice. Um, I think there is a lot of discussion every off season about how a certain draft strategy is better or worse than another draft strategy. And, you know, zero running back is a popular term and, there's always an argument about it every off season. What I do every year is I look at the draft and the, and where the and ADP and I look at where the value is at different positions heading into this year. I thought that wide receiver was really deep and you know, the first round guys are great, but you're comparing first round receivers to sixth round receivers or fifth round receivers. And you're comparing 
I don't know, Michael Thomas to uh, a Keenan Allen or a Stefan Diggs or a DK Metcalf. Um, there isn't as big of a drop off there to me as you are when you're comparing uh, a first round running back to a fifth round running back. So I went into the season thinking middle round uh, receivers. So hit running back tight end early and then starting round four, just, you know, four or five straight receivers and you're going to end up with a really good uh, receiving core. So what I'm getting at is that this is what I do every year. I look at the draft and, and where the value is. And then I come up with a draft strategy based on that. I figure out where I want my, which tight end I want and what round, which running, which quarterbacks I want and what rounds. And the rest of the draft is, is based on that. And it works every year. I mean, I don't win every one of my leagues, but I do really well on a whole. So I'm not going to advocate that somebody start their draft five straight receivers just because, you know, of running back fragility. Uh, maybe it will work for you, um, but I'm not going to get into giant arguments about it. For me, it's value. Um, how do I cr- uh, put together a team based on this year's ADP and draft that I'm comfortable with that has enough upside and also has a quarterback and a tight end that I like and et cetera. So, um, Maybe that's not the best advice for fantasy owners because maybe they don't have as much experience doing it as I do. I've been playing since mid-90s, um, so I might have an advantage there. But I think a lot of people that listen to these podcasts and stuff are very into this and are able to determine and create a roster that they're comfortable with based on ADP and where they're likely to be able to get guys. Um, and not force yourself, pigeonhole yourself into one particular draft strategy because – podcast a or podcast b or analyst a or analyst b tells you that this is the way to go this year absolutely i think that's great advice be more pragmatic and use your own thought right you, you you're the person running your own draft so i guess do do what you think is going to be best but you also have to put a little bit more thought into it than you know just saying i'm going to do this strategy i think it matters it matter your draft room matters your approach matters your league rules matter so that's i think that's really good advice lastly we're sitting here before the AFC and NFC championship games. So who's your Super Bowl pick? I am extremely, as a, as a Packer fan, I'm extremely nervous about this game against the Bucs. Uh, the way that the Packers played against Tampa in Tampa this year. I'm, I'm hopeful that Matt LaFleur and company can, uh, I'm not going to pick against my Packers. I'm just telling you, I'm extremely nervous about the game tomorrow. So Packers are going to go in the NFC is my pick. Um, and I think there's enough of a home field advantage in, in Lambeau with these Florida guys coming up, trying to play in 20 degree weather, whatever it's going to be tomorrow um, that they get it done. I really, really hope that's the case anyway. And then on the AFC side, um, I, I'm not sure about Mahomes' toe. Uh, mm-hmm. things got a little weird with him once he injured his toe in that game. And then he got concussed. And I think the focus is on the concussion. Uh, but those toe injuries, as you know, are tricky. Um, so I'm interested to see how he performs. Uh, I'll just take the bills in that one because it's fun. And TJ Hernandez will give me a pat on the back for being a judge. <laughs> so I'll say Packers bills. We'll do a small market uh, Super Bowl uh, this year. There you go. Okay. Now who wins that game? Um, well, I can't. I, I, yeah. I, have to, I have to pick the Packers. 
Yeah, I knew. I knew you were going to go there. That's all right. We'll take it, man. I, I think anybody that, who knows I, me, anybody who knows me knows that I'm not a homer at all. I probably am too. I probably rank Packer, Packers too low uh, in my rankings because I'm just. I always see. I've been tricked before, and I've always seen the the bad side of it. But I'm not going to sit here on a podcast and not pick. I'm not going to jinx them. I don't know. Maybe I am jinxing them by doing this. I'm going to do the reverse. <laughs> <laughs> You're sending good vibes, John. You're sending good vibes. Yeah. Hey, man. Thanks so much again for coming on. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk. Uh, one of my favorite follows on Twitter at four for four underscore John. We don't know where the four for four came from, so no. continue to seek seek the answer. But thanks again, man. I appreciate it. You bet. Thanks, Edwin. Have a good uh, weekend. You too.